talking about the age-old story of God and how he brings things to life that are dead. And now you know uh, the baptistries up here today or the, the trough or whatever we affectionately call it. And on the front of it, it says made new. And we talked about this last Sunday as well, um, talked about this idea. Uh, what's written on the front of this comes out of the scriptures that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians where he says, in Christ, everyone is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, which is the same language of that song that we just sang about revival. It's about uh, being made new, being made into something new. Uh, now, uh, today we're going to kind of do that. I know a lot of people are out today because we have this wonderful you know, school holiday for the weekend, um, but hopefully I'm glad that you guys are here and uh, hopefully you're going to enjoy what we talk about, uh, talk about today. You know, if you are an insider, or if you've gone to church your whole life, things like baptism seem fairly normal. But if you haven't gone to church uh, your whole life, when you go to a church and they start participating in these things like baptism or the Lord's Supper or people are raising their hands in worship, it seems a little odd to us at first until we're kind of a part of that story. Now, this last week you might have got a, an email from me or a, or a text that really ask you the question, do you want to be baptized? Is this something that you want to do? Maybe it's something you've never done or something you've thought about for a long time. Uh, I want you to know today that you can do that today if you choose. Uh, sometimes, you know, we schedule these baptism Sundays, which is not a bad thing. Uh, it's just something that we have traditionally done. Uh, but if it's one of those things that you say, hey, this is something that I want to do today, we can do it today. We've, we've got shirts, we've got shorts, uh, we've got all these kinds of things. So clothing is holding you back. Don't let it. Uh, at the end of the service, if you say, hey, I'm making this commitment today. This is something that I'm choosing to do. I'll be down front so you can think about it the whole service if you want. We've got plenty of worship songs afterwards. We've got time to do this. And the reason why we're maybe doing this is because I don't want this to, this to be an opportunity that's lost. Uh, I want you to say, if you've, if you've been waiting to do this, we only tend to schedule baptism Sundays about every three to four months, and sometimes people are not there, or they say, well, we're, we're skipping church that week, or whatever it looks like. So my encouragement to you today is this, if you want to do it, today is the day. Do it today. And, and as we talk through scripture today, maybe you'll feel convicted and say, that's something that I want to do. But let me, let me start with this, this uh, premise here. Right after Jesus has died and been raised from the dead, he, and he's been on the earth about 40 more days, he goes up onto the mountainside, kind of the mountainside that we see where he probably preaches his first sermon. And he stands on the mountain, and those 12 people that have followed him, that we call disciples, are gathered around him. There's actually just 11 of them at this time, because we know the story of Judas. And Jesus stands there, and he looks at these 11 followers, people that he's poured his life into for the last three and a half years. And he says these words in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20. He says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. How do you make disciples? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all the things that I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. This is what Jesus says right before he ascends to be with the Father. It's what we call the Great Commission. It's the new job title of those guys that are standing around Jesus. Now, one of the things that we need to realize, uh, just coming off of this statement, that when we read the Bible, is that prayer and the Holy Spirit guide us through Scripture. We can talk to the author of this book. 
And the Bible tells us that more than one occasion, that when we pray and ask for wisdom about how to understand this, that God will help us to understand this book. Now, I'm going to point out just a couple of things, then we're going to get to to the text today, because I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want us to look at a bunch of stories that kind of talk about baptism, talk about how it unfolds in the early church. We know uh, about the Jewish roots of the washings that people would participate in before they would go into the temple, what we call the mitzvahs. They would, they would be washed, and it was a representation of being clean before they went into the presence of God. But we hear from Jesus that he says baptism is central to discipleship. That's what he says. Go and make disciples, and you make disciples through this practice of baptism. Baptism makes disciples. It's not the entirety of the journey. It doesn't mean that once you're a baptized believer, you got it made and you can just sit back and hit the cruise control in faith. But it does seem to have a lot to do with the discipleship that Jesus is talking about. What we're going to see today is that baptism creates the church. The church emerges in this post-baptismal world. Now, some of you I know like to take notes and you like to maybe go back and read the scriptures that I read on Sunday morning. So if you're one of those note takers, I want you to write down the following scriptures, okay? The book of Acts, okay? Just go read that this week. Just go read the whole book of Acts. I'm going to read about half of it today, um, maybe not half, until I get booed off the stage, which did happen about four minutes in on the last one. But, no, but I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to see how baptism functions in the world of the early church. In Acts chapter 1, we have a retelling of the ascension of Jesus into heaven. In Acts chapter 2, we have these 12, now they're back up to 12 because they elect another disciple. And there's about 120 of them that are gathered, these these early followers of Jesus that are in one place. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing wind, uh, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire separate and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues. The word here is languages, meaning languages they they hadn't learned. They never knew before this time. They're empowered to speak as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They'd all come for Passover and they stayed till Pentecost, those 50 days, that's what they do. When they heard the sound, a crowd gathered together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people speaking Galileans? Now, that's actually kind of a slang term. Maybe what we would say is, aren't these people uneducated people? Why do they know this language? Why do they know my language? There's no reason. Galilee was a rural town. It wasn't Jerusalem. People didn't know how to speak these languages. And so they hear this thing, and there's this bewilderment that happens. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't these people speaking Galileans? This is how each of us hears them in our own native language. You go down to verse 11. It tells you where they're all from. It says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our own languages, amazed and perplexed they look at each other and say what does this mean however some of them made fun and said well maybe they've had too much wine which is the obvious answer in any any instance where somebody acts a little crazy the first thing's got to be well they're drunk right 
We say it all the time, don't we? Well, you know, something wrong there. But look at what happens after this. In verse 14, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk because it's only nine in the morning. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes into this discourse where he talks about the the prophetic word that Joel gave about this time when God's word and God's mission would be revealed. He goes on here in verse 36. This is the end of the sermon now. He's wrapping things up and it says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, what are we going to do? And Peter replies and says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive God's gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. It goes on in verse 41. It tells us that 3,000 people respond to this message. In verse 42, after this happens, it says, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers came together and had everything in common. They sold possessions and property and gave to one another, anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Not only is this the first response to the first sermon about Christ, the first gospel sermon, the first truly gospel sermon. But Peter preaches it, and when they realize we've actually killed God's hope for our lives, what are we supposed to do? Peter repeats Jesus' words, be disciples and be baptized. That's what he tells them to do. And it says 3,000 of them make that commitment on that day. And then it changes the way that they live. Peter also tells them that baptism brings the Holy Spirit, that, that God will place a piece of himself inside of you as a seal, as a guide, as a presence. There's something powerful about that. If we track forward to Acts chapter 8, I'm going to read a lot of these stories today, so just hang on. It'll be okay. In Acts chapter 8, we have a story of uh, what we call a proselyte. Now, a proselyte's a fancy word for saying somebody who is a Gentile but has converted to Judaism. This person is from Ethiopia, so we know they're Gentiles. And he has come. He's a person. He's a high official. But watch what happens. He has been a Jew, so that means he travels from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, from Passover to Pentecost. It's a trip that took a long time. There's deep-seated commitment in this person's life. But it says, now the angel of the Lord, this is verse 26, chapter 8. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. I love how God always gives good Google directions. Go there, go south, go this way. These are the towns. So he started out on his way and he met the Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So he's a Jew now. 
And he's gone to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover all the way to Pentecost. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophets. The Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? Unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip up onto the chariot with him. This is the passage of scripture, the eunuch was reading. This is Isaiah 53. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, led like a sheep to the slaughter, and lamb before its shear is silent. He did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken on the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, please tell me, is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? And Philip began with, a, with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. It's a gospel story. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And they both, he gave orders to stop the chariot. They both uh, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And then they came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So we see the church start in Jerusalem, but here this man is traveling back to Ethiopia. I'm not sure if you're familiar with world geography, but if you've ever seen the continent of Africa, Ethiopia is a part of that one that looks like the rhino horn on the side. Uh, Jerusalem is quite far and quite close to the top, probably took several months to get there. This man is a deeply committed person. He's even reading his Bible as he's traveling back to his home country. And we do know actually from church history that this Ethiopian eunuch goes back and starts the church in Ethiopia, a church that still exists today. The gospel moves. One of the things we see about baptism is that baptism saves the previously saved, it seems. This man was a devout Jew. He was doing all the things that he needed to do. And this is just an extension of the story. And as, and as Philip tells him and says, hey, this is part of the story, this man, this eunuch, as he talks about Jesus, it doesn't tell us everything that he told him, but they come to this place and he says, I want to be made new in the presence of God. I want to be made new into the story of Jesus. Something powerful and wonderful happens in the midst of that as well. If we go on a little further, if my voice will, will, will hold out today, we talk about a guy named Saul, which we know him more as Paul in the New Testament. But I want you to see what happens in this story. It's really a great story as well. I'm going to read this one and like seven or eight others, and then we'll be done, okay? Um, you ready? That's what I said, the whole book of Acts. Let's read the whole thing. Uh, chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He even went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. And if they found any who belonged to the way or the church, this movement that started in Jerusalem is what they're saying, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. 
Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, he's temporarily going to be physically blind, but obviously he's metaphorically blind to what God is doing. The reason why he's blind is because even though he thinks he really sees it, he doesn't. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, I always love that God uses people's first names. Always. doesn't say, hey, you, uh, whatever name you got, that's the name God's going to use for you. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask him. He's giving Google directions again. This is where you're going to go. Ask for a man uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man, Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. He's going to argue with God because that's what everybody does when God calls them. I've heard many reports about this man, that that he will harm any of your holy people in Jerusalem, and that he has come with the authority of the chief priests to arrest anyone who call on his name. And the Lord said to Ananias, take a deep breath, settle down, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This is what God is doing. There's something powerful about this. Paul could not be further right. He believes that the church is this evil entity and he is a devout Jew. And God says, and he's the guy that somehow is going to have more authority because he's the one that I'm going to choose to send to the Gentiles. And when they see this guy coming, they're going to know God has done something. They're going to know that he was made new before he started doing what God called him to do. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. We see this story of God unfolding his plan, taking people who are religious and really believe that they are just the saved people of God and saying, I need, to, I need to correct your story a little bit. I need to make sure that your story is not about you, but that your story is about me. You guys familiar with forest fires, I'm sure. Sometimes you drive through the mountains and you'll see just entire, entire sides of mountains that are scorched by fire. Or maybe you've even driven through one and seen a fire raging. There's an expression that talks about when the fire jumps the road. Okay, it's burning on this side, and they try to burn these big channels. But sometimes with the high winds, some of the the flames jump the road, right? And that's what they try to avoid. And yet in this story, what we're going to see soon is that baptism includes all people. And the book of Acts kind of records when, when it jumps the road. And this is the story that jumps the road. In Acts chapter 10, we have a story of Peter who has a vision. He's on, on the roof waiting for dinner, the Bible tells us, and he has, he, he's kind of praying, and he, he has this vision of this beautiful sheet coming down from heaven that's filled with all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. Now, P- 
clean and unclean animals in kosher laws for Jewish people, they only ate certain kinds of animals. They ate cows, but not pigs, right? They ate, you know, certain kinds of birds like chickens, but they didn't eat eagles or hawks. There were reasons for that. They had what they call the dietary laws or the kosher laws. And what happens is God commands Peter and says, I want you to, to make yourself dinner from these clean and unclean animals. And in this vision, Peter says, I can't eat anything unclean. God says, I have made things clean. Everything is clean. It's not actually about the animals. It's about the Jews who are viewed as God's clean people and the Gentiles who are viewed as unclean people. This vision is a microcosm about what the gospel is going to do and what God is going to do. So in Acts chapter um, 10, beginning in verse 34, Peter now has gone to the house of a Gentile named Cornelius. It says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts everyone from every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, now i got to love this story because God interrupts the sermon, okay? God even looks down and goes, Peter, let's, wrap the, let's land the plane, buddy. And Peter doesn't seem to do that, so God just interrupts and says, while he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with people, Peter, meaning the Jews that had come with him, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, meaning they were just speaking languages that people knew. Then Peter said to them, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus into this new story. And after that, they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. It's a beautiful story. And it's one of the only times that we actually see the Holy Spirit coming before people are baptized. But the Bible tells us that Peter and the Jewish people that came with him, they still cannot fathom how big the gospel is. They still think that Jesus is only for the Jews. And they go to Cornelius, who is a good, faithful believer, and God reveals to Peter and to the others that are there, no, this is a gospel for the Gentiles. This is for everybody. This is not like the law for the Jews. If you read the book of Acts, you're going to see this, that baptism is the response to the gospel. You can read story after story after story. And it ends with this act of 
submission, where people symbolically die to themselves and take on the story of God and have their sins washed away and to be raised to, to be the new creation, to walk in what the Bible calls newness of life. There's something so powerful about this. This is not something that the church invented, and it's not something that just kind of went away over time. W- what I say to all people and what I want you to hear me today is that baptism is for me. Baptism is for you. When, Paul fin- when Peter finishes his sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says in verse 39 of Acts 2, this promise is for you, for your children, and for those far off. It doesn't just mean distance. It, mean, it meant Gentiles. But it also means people in the coming generations, 20 generations, 20 millennia, you know, two millennia from now, it's still going to be applicable for them. It's for them as well. And that's why as Christians, we participate in this commitment together. I know it looks weird, and and I, I told you last week, if anybody tells you exactly how it works, they're lying to you. Because I don't know how us being obedient and getting dunked underwater somehow does something powerful with God. It's for all of us. And I think we spend a lot of time fighting about, do I have to do this? Or is this something that's necessary? You just read the book of Acts. All these believers are coming together. They're being made new. Even Jesus says, this is how you make disciples. You baptize them. It's powerful. And that's why baptism is also for now. I know we schedule these a few times a year. But if this is a commitment that you have not made, it's a commitment you can make today. My last passage today, it's only like three verses, so stick with me. This is Paul talking to this council of philosophers, educated people. And he kind of ends, he's talked about the story of Jesus, and he ends his sermon, and he says to them this. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, meaning Jesus, to hear his words from his mouth. You will be witnesses to all people about what you have seen and heard. And then he says this, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It's saying you've got to immerse yourself in something bigger. Stop, stop arguing about things that don't matter. Be immersed in the story of God. Take this step in your faith. You know, sometimes when we do this, and uh, I know our students are, are uh, having their time out there, we have a lot of students that say, I really want to get baptized but I'm scared to do it in front of people, right? Uh, has something to do with hair or makeup or I don't quite know what it has to do with, right? And one of the things that we talk about, they say, well, I want to do it, but I just don't want to do it in front of anyone. My response to that is not, I, I try not to be mean about it, my response, part of me kind of says, then maybe you're not ready. Because this is an act of submission. And, and it's an act to say, my faith is real. And I'm going to be a part of a community that's going to walk with me in faith. I know sometimes we have that hesitation. I don't want to be a spectacle with bright lights and somebody watching me do something. It's not about that. 
3,000 people got in the line on the day of Pentecost. And they did not have their baptism clothes with them, I promise. And they just kind of left things behind because they wanted to be immersed in a bigger story. But we live in a very sterilized and domesticated world now that people have hesitancy and we worry about things like hair and makeup. But this is a moment of commitment, a moment of, of covenant. It's a moment to say, my story is not going to dominate my life. His story is going to dominate my life. That's why we're baptized in the name of Jesus. We're not baptized in our own name. We're baptized into his, into his story. And so I think we've got, what, three songs. If you want to make that commitment today, just come down here. I know it's scary. Maybe it's weird. It doesn't matter. Just hear the words that God has spoken to us through Scripture. And say, hey, today's the day. So you have the chance to make a decision today. If God is tugging at your heart and your life, make a decision. What are you waiting for? Father, today, thank you for inviting us into this place. Thank you for uh, bringing us here. God, I just pray that for those of us that maybe made this commitment a long time ago, may we just be flooded with images of the day we made our commitment and just be refreshed by that, that you would just bring that moment back to us. God, for those of us that maybe are unsure, or maybe we've said, you know, I, I just haven't done this yet. Maybe today, maybe today's my day. Or even, God, if this is just planting seeds for the future. Father, as we talk to our children, as we, as we lead them in Christian practice, God, would you just uh, allow this simple symbol uh, to just be a part of our lives. Father, thank you that you made it so easy. Thank you that you didn't create an environment of a ridiculous quest before we could be saved, but that we just acknowledge you and that we are obedient and humble. So God, we just ask today that you would guide us, walk with us, help us. And Father, today, if, if there's a decision in this room today, that you would just allow people to have the courage to step towards it as we continue to worship, as we continue to lift your name up, God, would you just speak to our lives and help us to see you. We pray this all through Jesus. And the church together say amen.